Good morning, City Church. If you would stand with us today. We are so grateful that you would come out and celebrate the Lord with us this morning. All across the room, I want you to do me a favor, all right? I want you to close your eyes. We're just going to open this morning in prayer. Lord, we welcome you this morning. Lord, we ask that you would be here, that your presence would fall, God, and we would have a moment to just meet with you. Lord, we worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
and we lift our voice together, God, as a powerful force. God, in the middle of every moment that we wouldn't hold back. Lord, we thank you. just came to church, but I feel like God is wanting us to realize that we did not just come to church this morning. We came together this morning. We have to stop seeing ourselves as spectators and start seeing ourselves as the army of God. This morning, let's give him all our praise. The same God who never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. It's working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the Stand again. 
when you
I know, I know I'm out here, but we're not done. We're getting ready to go back in, into this because there's something about this song. I mean, when, 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 when the song you sing and, and the song that's coming from the heart of the Lord intersect and his people are present, something is unlocked. And I don't mean just a door. I don't mean the emergency exits. I mean in our hearts, in the spirit realm, there is something available. And all it takes is for you to jump in. It's like a river that is already moving. It's been here the whole time. And so what I would invite you to do today, whether you're new, whether you've been here forever, whether you know this whole thing, or you're like, I don't know what's going on. I would invite you when we go back into this song, sing it with gusto. I know that's like an old word, but it just felt appropriate right now. Come on, sing it. Not just because those are the words on the screen. Maybe you don't even like to sing, but make it a declaration of your heart today. I will build my life upon your love because it's a firm foundation when when your job is not a firm foundation, when your family life is not a firm foundation, when your, your finances are not a firm foundation, when your health is not a firm foundation, it is a firm foundation. Do you believe that today? Do you believe it today? Then let's worship like it as we go back into this. Come on. All this freedom, all this freedom, there's freedom. And I will build my life on you. in this state. We're like, God, rescue me. God, rescue me. Come save me, God. I need your help, God. But I'm right here. You got to do all the work. Maybe you're in this church this morning, in this place this morning, because this hasn't been working. 
God needs you to start walking around the walls. He needs you to start moving, to start upping your game, whether it's your word, whether it's your prayer, whether it's your worship, because this is not about a show. This is about the Holy Spirit coming in and saying, I am here to help you. Just give me your hands. Give me your feet. Give me your words. And watch as I move. Maybe this morning this church stuff is all new to you. And that's okay. Because God ordained this moment for you to step into this building and find Him. So this is your opportunity. Whether you're 12 or whether you're 85, you still have the Holy Spirit in you and wanting to work through you to break off all the stuff you've been carrying and to shake things in your life so that this doesn't become normal anymore. You're ready to move in what God would have for you. So all around the room, I want you to take a second and I want you to say, God, why am I here today? Why is this for me? Maybe this church is different. Maybe I'm not used to this. Well, maybe God is trying to get through to you, and I don't want to miss a moment this morning. So take this opportunity. God, right now, we ask you, we ask you, Lord, to set a fire in us. To set a fire in us, Jesus. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be, Lord. No place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love. No place I'd rather be, Lord. No place I'd rather be is. No place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love. No place I'd rather be, Lord. No place I'd rather be, Jesus. No place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love. No place I'd rather be, Lord. No place I'd rather be, No place I'd rather be, Lord. Here in your love, set a fire, love. So set a fire down in my soul. That I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. To set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control.
Father, it's in this environment. I would corporately, but us as individuals, come to you. In our worship, come to you humbly, Lord. We enter your courts, it says, with praise. And so, if that be the case, then those that are praising are now in your courts. God, if I have an audience with the king, I pray that you would speak to us. For those in this room that have need, this would be the time to lay it before the Lord. Whether that need is a, is a physical thing, is a, is a, it's an answer, whatever it is. God, as I pray for us as a body, God, each and every individual to you in this moment. We thank you that you are a good God. You do good things and you want good things for us. Though we may not understand the circumstances or the situations, we may not know how we got here or how we're going to get out, but you do. We know that worship unlocks the heart of the Father, that you inhabit, you live among our praise. So if we have no way forward, we have no answer or solution, God, we just turn to praise. We worship you anyway. Your praise precedes the victory. God, we believe that in our service today. We believe that for those of our, our church family that are dealing with difficulty this week. We know that the, the Tejadas that Naomi lost uh, her mother this week, and it was stuff, you know, um, worship team members that in spite of their worship are dealing with physical pain, with relational pain, with emotional pain. It's not that we're not dealing with anything. It's that we know, we know where our hope is, right? And so Father, as I close out, we just thank you, Lord, that you're with us, that you guide us. In this room, yes, but the second we leave those doors, you're with us too. Because the presence of the Lord doesn't dwell in an ark anymore. It doesn't dwell in an old wooden box. God, it dwells in our hearts. If we would just ask, if we would just say, Lord, live in me. Guide me. Your presence, the presence that created the universe itself lives within us. And we thank you for that, God. All, everyone who agreed with that, who believed that, who's excited that they're here today said, amen. Do you believe it today? Come on. It's a good day. It helps that our worship team, not that it, it's all about them, but it helps that the worship team spent all day yesterday in a workshop, just working on worship and getting better at what is worship. We didn't touch an instrument. There was no practicing. It was all just about the, the lifestyle of worship. And so 
They're excited, I know, and we're excited, and I'm just glad that you're here today. If you are, uh, I don't care if you're, you're a first-timer, you've been here for a long time, whatever, the lights may come up here in a second, but we want you to do us a favor, and that is we want you to find somebody in your section, little area there, preferably somebody you don't know, and I know if you got social anxiety, you're already panicking, but it's okay. Just, just say hi to somebody, learn their name, and then pretend it's a test because next week if you see them again you got to know their name and most people's response is well I'm not really good with names well you know what you can always learn get good with names all right so go ahead find somebody in your section take a few minutes and make them feel welcome to City Church today Here's what's going on this week at City Church. Don't forget city groups are going on now. Visit the table in the foyer to find one near you. If you're interested in going to the Haiti missions trip, there's an information meeting Sunday, February 23rd. West of 50 group is going to the Pika Alpaca Ranch, Saturday, February 22nd. For more information, visit the Welcome Center. If you're new to City Church, we'd like to ask you to fill out the Start Here card, located in the seat pocket of the chair next to you or in front of you. We are City Church. And give the Lord another big hand clap this morning. What's going on this week I'm City glad you're in church. Glory to God. Just close your eyes and lift your hands to the Father. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. That, Lord, we're not just in a building. Lord, we're in your presence. That you dwell amongst us. And, God, that makes today special. That makes today powerful. That makes today a day where things are going to change and, and be adjusted, Lord. And we're believing to be moving in the right direction if they're not. So, Father, thank you for the honor of being able to come together as your people here at City Church, praise your name, 
receive your blessings, Lord. Thank you for blessing our heart. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, give the Lord another big hand clap this morning. Glory to God. How many are ready to honor the Lord with your tithe and offering? Amen. Just as another extension of your praise and worship. Ushers, if you could get ready. If you don't have an offering envelope, there's one right there in front of you or to the right or the left of where you're sitting. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for the sacrifice of honoring the Lord in this area. We know that when we come together, we praise the Lord. We serve the Lord together. We, we pray together. We study the word together, but we also give together. Amen. And God takes every person's gift, every person's tithe, every person's offering. He puts it together. He blesses it to City Church and helps us to do what we've been called as a church to reach those around us. But at the same time, because of your faithfulness, he takes that, your faithfulness. He takes your faith. He takes your commitment. And he blesses it back into your life. Amen. He brings increase. How many can testify by a raised up hand? Amen. I've seen God do in my life. Amen. I know you can because God is faithful. He promised us that if we would sow into his kingdom, we would reap in our life. He promised us if we would tithe, that he would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. Amen. So as you get ready to honor the Lord today with your tithe and with your offering, make sure by faith you receive everything that he has for you. Amen. So, Father, we honor you today. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people here at City Church, Lord. And as we honor you right now in this moment with our tithe and offering, that you're blessing it, you're multiplying it to this body and to this work, but at the same time, you're also bringing harvest back into the lives of your people. So, Father, we bless you today, and we receive your blessing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you as you honor the Lord.
you give the band of singers a big hand this morning, we appreciate those guys, right? We are blessed. God is doing amazing things. Thank you for being here. Sorry I was out last week, but Pastor Kellen did an amazing job. Can you give him a big hand as well as the rest of the team? Amen. I, uh, I, heard, uh, I heard Pastor T.D. Jakes say one time, and it's something that's always stuck with me. He said, you can always tell um, what God is doing in a church by looking, and don't get offended at this because it's a metaphor, by looking at the big machinery he brings in. Amen. And I can tell you he's doing something big here because he's bringing some big machinery in. And you're it. He's bringing some big bulldozers. Don't, okay, this is a metaphor, you understand, right? He's bringing big, strong people in. And thank you for being a part of this and, and all the different things that he's doing ever since that we transitioned from the worship center to City Church uh, back in, uh, in January. In fact, why, can we just give the Lord a big hand clap right now for all he's doing? Amen. I, uh, I've shared this with you before, but let me just share this with you because um, it, it helps us to understand some things along this line. Uh, there is what's known, um, and, and I, know it's, I know it's the way God created it, is what's known as the emerging factor. The emerging factor. What the emerging factor is, the, 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 actually the scientific perspective behind that is this, is that anytime you put two things or three things together, when they come together, something emerges out of that. Right, there's all, and that's what's known as the emerging factor. Um, and uh, you know, you put you put you know uh, blue and yellow together. What do you get? So that's the emerging factor. You put water, seed, dirt, light. You put all those together. What do you get? What's the emerging factor? A plant, right, or, or growth. And so, anytime you you begin to merge things together, something's going to come out of it. But there's also what's known as uh, the unknown factor, and that is that you could put things together sometime, and you don't have a clue what's fixing to show up, right? Right? Two people get married, you don't have a clue what's about to show up. You know, you do stuff like that, and uh, so uh, that's one thing that I was was really kind of praying about. God, what's the what's the unknown factor here? <laughs> what's going to emerge out of this? You know, and uh, so I can tell you, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. God is bringing some great stuff out of this out of the transition. Man, I just want to share them with you real quick before we get into the message today, just as a celebration of what what God is doing. But it's not just God; it's it's us. It's us working together and working with Him. You know that our, 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 our vision, our, 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 our passion here at City Church is to reach, right? To reach our families, to reach our city, to reach our nation, to reach our world. And so what we've done is we've, we've actually gone through and through this 2020, we have structured our calendar of events and the different things that we're doing here around that reach aspect of us. So I just want to kind of give you a, a kind of an update of, of where we're headed this whole year real quick, and then we'll get into the message. As far as the calendar, as far as reaching our families, reaching our families, we've got, we've got the spring picnic in March, the Easter egg hunt in April, the, the New Life uh, Sunday in May. I'll tell you some more about that when we get closer to it. VBS in June, Youth Kids Camp in July, Marriage Conference in August, Revival Conference in October, and the VE, VAAs in December. And all of those will be structured to reach your families, to reach the people that are close to us. And we'll be giving you some more information as we go into that. But not only that, we also want to reach our city. 
We want to reach outside, outside our walls. So we have our, our calendar that we're, we're going to do our spring serve city group project. So if you're in a, you're in a city group, we're going to encourage you to get involved. And, and Pastor uh, Christy and Kelly have already been talking to the city group leaders about coming up with a serve idea somehow, somewhere, some way in, in their capacity. So also our back to school in August, September serve group project. Uh, also, our Thanksgiving meal giveaway. How many know that's a, that's a blessing around here? Amen. We're changing some things up, but we're, gonna, we're using it in a way to reach our city. Also, we have something this year that we're doing, a giving tree uh, family adoption in December for Christmas. So we're, we're structuring. We're, not, we're, not, we're doing everything that we do around here on purpose. So when you get involved in a ministry or you get involved in something, event that is going on, you're not just a body filling a space. You are a part of City Church reaching other people on, everybody say, purpose. Everything is on purpose. And not only that, we're going to reach our nation and our world. National and World's Missions Emphasis Month in July. We have a heart fund year-long women's missions project. And also we have a Devil will not stop us. Amen. Check. There we go. Thank you, Bobby. I think my I think my headset battery died. Um, where was I? Uh, our Haiti missions trip. So if you're in, if you're interested in a Haiti's missions trip that's coming up, soon as service is over, uh, they're going to have a meeting right over here to my left. Uh, for all those that are interested in the Haiti's missions trip, but the the whole idea behind all of this is that we want to take who we are as a church and funnel our resources, our finances, our people, our event, funnel everything in the direction. So at the end of the year, we can look back and we can say, you know what? We were driven by purpose. We were driven by purpose. We did what God wanted us to do. Amen? In fact, why don't you just close your eyes right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to be a purpose-driven church. Help us to take everything that we're doing, Lord, not just, Father, just to be doing stuff, but to be doing it on purpose to reach people's lives wherever they are around us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Go ahead and get your notes out. We're beginning a new series this morning that I am super excited about. I, um, in, in fact, if somebody wants to sneak back there and put my hand uh, batteries in that, I would love that. Because, see, I think these things right here, I think they're of the devil. Um, so they're kind of like bondage to me, but we'll be all right. So we're in a series. We know that we're talking about the book of Ephesians. And we're going to take a deep, everybody say deep. We're going to take a deep dive into this book. I, I love this book. It's my favorite book of all of Scripture. Um, I don't know how many times, literally, I have read it thousands of times over the years. Thousands of times. 
I probably read chapter 1 over the last couple of weeks 40 or 50 times, just getting it on the inside of me. And as much as I have studied it, as much as I have, uh, have gone through it and broken it down, I've done outlines on it, I've done word studies on it over the years, even in the last two weeks as I've been preparing for this, I have learned so much more than I ever have. And I want to pass that on to you. And so this is really going to be, um, it's going to be a six-week journey. There's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to be taking each week, we're going to be taking a different chapter and learning as much as we can in the time that we have on each week. Uh, and I know that, that if you'll listen, if you'll let God speak to you, that God will speak volumes to us. Amen? So with your notes out, uh, we're, let me just kind of give you a, a big picture. Each week I'm going to be kind of sharing some historical background of the book. I can't do that all in one setting because it would take it'd take two hours to do that. But some historical background, hopefully you'll learn some stuff about that because the more you know about the background of a book, the more alive the book becomes to you. Amen? The more alive it comes. So let me give you a big picture. So obviously we know that that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and um, he wrote it um, to the church at Ephesus around year 62 A.D. So out, everybody give Pastor Kellen a big hand. Okay, so Ephesians, that's where we're at, right? I've read that book. I'm really just stalling so Pastor can get his microphone on. Uh, if, if later you're thinking, who do we have to blame for this mishap? Well, I changed the batteries this morning, okay? And I promised they were fresh, all right? Turned it on, full battery. So I blame big battery, like honestly. You know, I'm not going to name any companies, this mic's working. I'm gone. I'm out of here. <laughs> Glory, I feel free now. <laughs> All right, but listen, the, the history of the book, we know it was written by the Apostle Paul around 62 A.D., but there's a big historical background to it that I just want to share with you. If you don't know uh, this information about your New Testament, the book of Acts is a 30-year uh, timeline of the historical aspect of the church. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you have the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Christ resurrects and goes ascends back to the Father in the first part of the book of Acts. And it's 30 years after that. After the book of Acts, you have Romans, you have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, all of those. All of those books after the book of Acts, all of those took place during the 30 years of the book of Acts. So the historical background of every book is in the book of Acts because that's when they took place. And so what we find out is also in that 30-year time period of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul took three missionary journeys. Everybody say three. Now, some people say he took four, but really the fourth journey that he took to Rome was while he was in prison. And I wouldn't necessarily consider that a missionary journey, but the, so I, I stick with three. And so he had three missionary journeys. He would go out, his, his home base was there in Antioch, and he would go out and he would evangelize sometimes three, four, five, six years, establish churches, and, and then go back and rest for a little bit and, and seek counsel from the Lord. And then he would launch out on another, another missionary journey. He did three of those in his lifetime and so the book of Ephesians was written uh, or, or his, as a result of his second missionary journey in fact that's this is where he visited it on his second journey in fact you don't have this in your notes but I just want to read it to you oh hang on you didn't get this one did you 
city groups. Everybody say praise the Lord for city groups. Man, our city groups are taking off. We have more people going to city groups than we ever had going to Wednesday night. Glory to God. Shout the, give the Lord a hand clap. That's awesome stuff. Right. So if you're not involved in the city group, you need to get involved in the city group. If you're not leading a city group and you feel compelled to lead a city group, be a leader in the city group. You'll grow as a leader. Oh, that was my information. Let's go. We're back to the message. Man, I messed this up bad, didn't I? Let me give you this too. Since the first of the year, we had 67 new people involved in the ministry at City Church. 67 people that had never been involved before. Glory to God. That's so exciting. Our band, did y'all know that as a result of you guys getting involved in what's going on here, we have almost three complete bands. Three complete worship teams. Look what the Lord has done. Glory to God. Now we know what that unknown emerging factor was. It was the blessing of the Lord bringing growth and increase to all of it. Amen. And we've got some more people joining. Let's go. Book of Acts. Paul's second missionary journey. He goes to Ephesus. It says, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. He had Aquila and Priscilla with him, a couple of people that were ministry partners with him. He left them in Ephesus. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So it was a logical thinking process of trying to get them to understand where, they, where Christ fit in everything. He reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay a longer time with him, he did not consent. He said, I can't, guys, I would love to stay with you, but I just can't. He actually ended up staying this time on the second missionary journey. He stayed there for three months with them. But took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. So Paul shows up in Ephesus on his second missionary journey. He hangs out with them for, for, for three months. He establishes the church there in Ephesus. He leaves a group that was with him to oversee this brand new church. And then he goes back out. He spends the next four or five years uh, on his next missionary journey, his third missionary journey, evangelizing, and he decides, you know what, i got to go back to Ephesus. I told him five years ago that I would come back. So he goes back to Ephesus, he shows up there, and he begins to preach the gospel, and this time he stays there for three years. Three years in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, preaching the gospel. God does supernatural miracles. I mean, God just turned, turned that city right side up. And the reason why I say right side up, because it was filled with idolatry. The church that he had left there earlier, they had, they had made some inroads, but they were really not doing everything they could be as a church. But when Paul shows up, he fires them up, and I'm talking about God does miracles. In fact, he was so powerfully used by God, and that church was when he was there, is that all of the pagan people that were making money off pagan through witchcraft and through sorcery and through all this stuff, they got so mad because people were being converted into Christianity and walking away from all the pagan activity, and it really, really got them upset. And they actually tried to kill Paul. So when he gets wind of this towards the three years of having been there, he decides, you know what? It's time for me to go. It's time for me to move on. 
And so he leaves Ephesus there. He leaves it in the hands of, of a couple of people to oversee it. And he goes out and he spends a couple of more years ministering the gospel. And then what happens to Paul is he gets imprisoned. He gets put in jail in Rome for preaching the gospel. And so he's sitting in jail in Rome. This is about 10 years after he first initially started the church. And he gets wind, like many of his other writings, that some people have come into the church and are preaching false doctrine. They are telling people the wrong things about Christianity and Jesus and really messing it up. So he gets wind of this in prison and he sits down and he says, I, I got to do something. I've got to help these people. So he sits down in prison along with several other epistles that he wrote in prison and he writes the book of Ephesians. And he gives it to a group of people and they take it back for them to read. And so what's, and, and this is actually not long before the Apostle Paul dies. He's towards, and he ended up being martyred, had his head cut off, his, history tells us. But there's this element of the Apostle Paul of urgency in, what he, in his writings because the church is being infected by false doctrine. He is, he is towards the end of his life, and he loves the church so much, and he's trying to help them to understand a couple of things. So he writes the book of Ephesians and sends it to him. And what's, what's, what's so urgent about this, you can see this, is that Paul, everything about the book of Ephesians, it is nothing but pure doctrine. And what I mean by pure doctrine is because many of his other letters, he opens up with, I'm paraphrasing obviously, hey guys, how you doing? This is Paul, you know, and, and I, I hope you're doing well, and I hope I can come see you, and you know, and all he's, he, he has this relational conversation with people about uh, in the letters, but not in the book of Ephesians. There's no relational, it's pure doctrine from start to finish. And he lays down the pure doctrine of the truth of salvation. He is communicating biblical truth to them and to us when we read it about their salvation experience to show them the impact that it can have on their life if they understand it and if they do it. Everybody say understand and do it. Two big keys in Christianity. So what you see here is that the first three chapters, one, two, and three, it's all about what God has done for you and I. And then the second, uh, second three ver uh, chapters, four, five, and six, is all about how to apply what he said in the first three chapters, which is very important for us to understand because first three chapters is all about who you are and about what God has done for you and about what God has done in you, and then he tells you how to live it, which lets us know that many times in our life the reason why we can't live it is because we don't know who we are yet and that we struggle we struggle with putting the principles and the practices of God's word to work for us because we're not rooted and grounded in who we are in Christ yet. And so that was kind of the overview of what he was saying to his people in Ephesus. In your notes, let's dive in. God has some good stuff to say to us today. I love how he opens up this letter. Remember, he's writing pure doctrine to them. Look what he says in verse 1. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Many times in other verse, other uh, 
letters, it's, hey guys, it's Paul, I hope you're doing well, not here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who were at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. The first thing that I want us to notice in this passage here is this phrase, in Christ Jesus. It's a dominant phrase throughout the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, but actually mainly throughout the entire New Testament. And this in Christ is so important for us to understand. And not only is in Christ here, you also see scriptures, you know, phrases like this, in him, in Christ, in whom, through him, through Christ. You see those throughout the book of Ephesians and throughout the rest of the New Testament, actually. And the reason why it's important for us to understand these phrases is because whenever you see them in Scripture, there is a promise that belongs to you that is connected to this. I can do all things through Christ. Are you with me? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So when you see these phrases like this, look before it or look after it, and there is a promise that belongs to you if you are a believer. So I have some homework for you. I know Jessica just told me right before we came up for worship that she had read the book of Ephesians uh, this or yesterday. So I want to encourage you to read the book of Ephesians this week. Will you do that? And when you read the book of Ephesians, now listen, I did this for you just so I could let you know. If you, it takes, if you read it slowly and methodically and think through as you read it, each chapter takes about four minutes. Come on now. And there's only six chapters. How many have 25 minutes this week to read the Word of God? And as you go through the Word of God, I want you to look through these, look for these phrases, and I want you to highlight them or underline them and see what promises are connected to them because they will radically change your life because this is what Paul is communicating to us about who we are in Christ. But as we look deeper into this verse, I want you to notice that Paul uses two descriptive words to define those he's writing to. He, first of all, he calls them saints. Everybody say saints. Now don't get that, don't get carried away. This is not the saints that a lot of people think, you know, you got to die and there's got to be a miracle after you and you have to be 150 years old or whatever. This word saints here just simply means you are the saved ones. You are the redeemed ones. You are the called ones. That's what this word saints here means. It's not some special category that you have to do something special. But then he also calls them faithful. Everybody say faithful. He does this on purpose. He separates that. And the reason why I want us to understand that is because when he was calling them saints, he was declaring who they are in Christ. You are saints, you are the saved, you are the all of this that we're going to get into. But then when he calls them faithful, he was declaring their lifestyle. How you should live as a saint. Are you following me? Because how many know it's one thing to be a saint? It's another thing to be a faithful saint. It's one thing to be a saint, it's one, and the next thing is to be a faithful saint. And so he is balancing these two things throughout all of Scripture. In fact, here's some very fancy theological words to help us to understand. The first one is this. It's the word orthodoxy. I want you to write Christian beliefs there. 
When he calls them saints, he is establishing orthodoxy. He is establishing a belief system of who they are. Now, hang on. I know this is a little deep, but this is going to be good for us. He is establishing Christian beliefs. So anytime, you know, if somebody was to come up to you, and I know it's not going to happen, but if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know, what's your orthodoxy? <laughs> what they would be asking is, what do you believe? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about life? What do you believe about salvation? All of those things that you believe fall under the category theologically of what is known as orthodoxy. But then when he calls them faithful, here's the second word that we need to understand. You see it there? It's orthoproxy. This is Christian practices. This is how we live. Are you getting the picture here? I don't want to just be a saint. I want to be a faithful saint. I don't want you just to be saved. I want you to be faithfully saved. Are you with me this morning? Why? Because when you put orthodoxy and orthoproxy together, when you put a belief system that is created by God's word, and you put a lifestyle that is a result of what you believe, that's where the blessing of God flows. That's where the blessing of God flows. I don't want to just be filled with orthodoxy. I don't want to just be filled with beliefs about this. I want to be living those beliefs. And I want us at City Church to be living those beliefs. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Amen. And understanding orthodoxy and orthoproxy is extremely important to us because when you understand those two words, when you study God's word, here's what you'll find, that every single thing that you read will fall into one of those two categories. It's either what God wants me to believe or how God wants me to live. Did you just learn something? And I'm telling you, when you take that and you have this understanding and you study the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Romans and Galatians, everything that jumps off the page will come out in one of those two categories. Because God doesn't just want us to be saved. God wants us to live like saved people. God doesn't just want us to believe. He wants us to live our beliefs out. God doesn't just want us to come into church and lift our hands and praise the Lord and declare that we're victorious in life, but then go out and live defeated. Are you following me? In fact, that's one of the biggest challenges that all of, our, all of us have is mixing orthodoxy and orthoproxy together. Taking our beliefs and our lives and merging them together. Because I can tell you that when you merge orthodoxy, in orthoproxy, there is not an unknown factor that flows out of that. There is a known factor, and that is God's blessing. In fact, in your notes, the biggest challenge we face as Christians is closing the gap between what we say we believe and how we live our lives. It's the biggest gap. And the smaller that gap is, and I can tell you right now that there's not a person on the planet that has closed that gap perfectly. Are you with me? Don't get condemned. Just realize that that's what Christianity is all about. It is about establishing a belief system created by God's word and then allowing your lifestyle to merge with that belief. Orthodoxy and orthoproxy coming together to be a powerful force for the kingdom of God in your life. We all struggle with that. But Paul is going to help us over the next six weeks to merge those things together. So let's keep moving. 
It's important for us to understand that, but we got to keep on going. There's more to say about that. We'll touch on it some more as we go through this. So after he reads, he, he, he speaks verse 1 to us, and he talks about faithfulness and saints and lives and in him and all that. Then look at the next verse. Here's a profound truth. He says this, grace to you and peace from, see, he's not even saying, hey, this is, you know, grace to you from me. He's saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying in verse 2 is this, because I want you to completely understand that this is not just coming from me, that every word that you read is not just from my pen, it is from God's heart, that it is God's message to you. And the reason why he is laying this foundation that God is the one doing this is simply because he's about to give us some profound life-changing truth that we really need to believe, hey, this is from God. This is not just some person who, you know, didn't have anything else to do, to write a letter because he felt bad about himself because he was in prison. No, this is God's message. So I want you don't have this in your notes. But as we go through this, here's what I want us to understand. Don't read this as if it's coming from the pen of Paul to everyone, but read it, but rather from the heart of God to you. Because everything Paul says, even though he's speaking to the church as a whole, he's speaking to us as individuals. Don't read it as if it's coming from the pen of Paul to everyone, but rather from the heart of God to you. So as you study the word this week at home, and you see all these in him and in whom and through him and all those phrases, after you highlight it, I want you to write across the top of it, that's me. That's me. You know, Jesus went around and his big declaration was, I am. I am this. I am that. I, we need to be saying that about ourselves because we are because he is. It changes your life. So I really want us as we go through this, and we're going to dive into this a little deeper and, and pick up the pace here in just a second. But I want us to discover truth. And I want us to take the truth that we discover over this next week, six-week journey, and I want us to put it to practice in our life. So after he gets through with the first two verses... Then he does something that, um, that he doesn't do anywhere else in Scripture. It's nowhere else. In fact, it's nowhere else that I've ever known anybody to do this. The next 11 verses, from, or next, yeah, next 11 verses, Paul writes the longest Greek sentence in all of Scripture. We have periods and commas and breaks in ours just so we can understand it. But the reality is in the original Greek, these next verses, these next 11 verses is one long sentence. All you, you grammar people out there, it would drive you crazy if you read this one because it's one long sentence. But it's amazing how he does it. And as he goes through this, it's, it, it's like he took one big, deep breath of the blessing and the revelation and the knowledge that he had for God for them. And he just breathed it out in this big, long sentence. And so what you see, and you don't have this in your notes, that as he breathes this long sentence out, you see this. You see the heart of the Father in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. You see the provision of the Son in verse 7. You see the work of the Spirit in verse 13. 
he breathes all of this out. So let's journey through those three things. I'm not going to be long on all of these because they are self-evident. I just want to remind you and let you get this down on the inside of you. Let's, let's let them speak to our hearts. Let's start with the heart of a father. The father's heart for you. As Paul takes this deep breath of revelation in and just breathes out on us. The first thing that we learn concerning the heart of a father towards you. Not your neighbor, but you is this. And I've made this personal by putting the word me in your notes. He has blessed me. He has blessed me. Here's the truth that God wants you and I to believe, and that is if you're in Christ, you are blessed. Well, you don't know what, oh, shut up. It doesn't matter about all that. Well, you don't know what I'm doing. No, it doesn't matter. You're blessed. If you're in Christ, you are blessed. This is the way he says it. Look at it. He says it in, in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I want you to understand a little bit deeper about this. He didn't write that, and you don't need to read it as if, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the way he wrote this. That, that's not the, he didn't do it like that. That was funny. I don't care if you liked it or not. <laughs> it's like this. This is the, this is the, guys, I got to tell you something. And I can see him pacing up and down the, the floors in, in the prison with his pen and his paper going, I got to let them know. I have to let them know. They're blessed. And I need to get this on the inside of them, that God has blessed you. If you're in Christ, you are blessed. It is an exorbitant, ex over-the-top explanation with joy that you are blessed in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to notice this, and we could spend a lot of time on this, but notice what he says about this blessing. Has blessed. What is that? It's past tense. It's past tense. And if you're not aware of this, every promise in the New Testament that belongs to you and I in Christ is always written in the past tense form. Why? Because it all became yours at the cross. Has blessed. So what does that mean? It means you can't earn it. Stop trying to earn it. It's already yours. One of the reasons why so many of us are not walking in the fullness of what God has for us is because we don't realize it's an already done deal. It's a past tense. And past tense thing means it's a right now reality in, this, in our lives if we'll realize it. Past tense. Has blessed. You can't earn it. It already belongs to you. Because of who you are, because of how good you are? No. Because you are what? You're in Christ. Now remember... In Christ, orthodoxy, orthoproxy, belief and faithfulness. And that's what sets you in position, but you can't earn his blessing. It belongs to you. Paul echoes this in the book of Galatians, verses 13 and 14, when he says, Christ has redeemed us, again, has redeemed, past tense, from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Why? Because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Where? In Christ Jesus. But you're blessed. 
The blessing belongs to you. The spiritual blessing, the, the physical blessing, the financial blessing. God's blessing touches every area of our life. I wish we had time to talk about the fact that the reality of in the spirit realm, there are only two spiritual forces at work on this planet. The blessing of God and the curse as a result. Come on now, that's it. That's it. And as a Christian, as a saint, the blessing belongs to you. There's not one area of your life that is not covered by the blessing of God. Everybody say this out after me. Say, my heavenly father has blessed me. Next thing he says this, in the next verse, not only has he blessed you in your notes, he has chosen me. He chose you. You are chosen. You did not slip into heaven without God's knowledge. You didn't slip into heaven hoping God didn't see or into the kingdom hoping God didn't see you. He chose you. Look at what he says. Just as he chose us in him, again, before the foundation of the world, past tense, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. There's the faithfulness. We don't have time to get into that. But look, he chose you. He pointed his finger at every one of us and said, you're mine. You belong to me. You're mine. He's literally, if we could even go in the depths of this, he's actually really spoken this over all the universe. Just not everybody's answering the call to being chosen. But you're chosen. You're chosen. He wants you. Many of us in our lives, you know, this is one of the, the challenges that we have because we know what it's like to be left out. God doesn't leave you out. He chose you. He chose you. He wanted you on his team. He wanted you in, your, in his family. In fact, think about it. He wanted you so bad, he sent his son. And the son wanted you so bad that he gave his life. You're chosen. Now what are we doing here? We're developing orthodoxy. You're chosen, you're blessed. We're establishing a belief system here that Paul breathed out in this big long sentence. In fact, 450 times or 540 times, God uses the word chosen to describe his people. You're special he said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's who you are. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are chosen. Everybody say this after me. Say, I am chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're blessed. Chosen, Paul is continuing to breathe truth out on us. Not only are you, are you blessed, not only are you chosen, he goes on to say this, God has accepted me. This is the heart of the Father for you. The heart of the Father. He's accepted me. Look what he says in the verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us, what? Accepted. Again, there's that phrase, in the beloved. You're accepted. Man, this, this right here, this truth speaks to the depths of our heart. Because so many in all of our lives, so many times we struggle with being accepted. We struggle with, are we good enough? We struggle with, am I really okay? Do I really have value? All of us struggle with that. Why? Because the enemy is constantly pounding us with Life experiences and disappointments and, 
even our own internal insecurities to make us feel like we're not accepted. But God says, you're accepted. He says, you're accepted. You measure up. That's what he's talking about. And he accepts you. Listen, he, before you're a Christian, he accepts you just like you are. Once you become a Christian, he accepts you just like you are. And he's working in your heart and in your life and will spend the rest of your life working right where you are. Why? Because you're accepted. Let this get on the inside of us. It will transform our life when we realize I don't have to be perfect. I am accepted. Christ is perfect. And I accept the acceptance that comes from God. And because I accept the acceptance that comes from God, and because I'm accepted, I can be okay while God's working in me. Are you following me? Man, praise the Lord. It takes all the pressure off of us. You are accepted by your heavenly Father. And not only that, we've got religion and the thinking of man that basically says that, that your acceptance is performance-based. Man, if you have a good day today, God accepts you. If you have a bad day today, oh, you're done. That's religion. And if we live after that, here's what we do. God, I, I came to church today. Do you love me now? God, I read my Bible today. Do you love me now? God, I paid my tithe today. Do you love me now? And everything is performance-based. Now, all those things we need to do. Are you following me? But we don't do it to try to earn his acceptance. We do it, listen, because we're saints and we want to be faithful to who we are. I don't know if you're getting anything right now, but I am. You're accepted in the beloved. And look what he says in Romans 15, 7. Therefore, accept each other as Christ has accepted you so that God will be, will be given glory. One of the reasons why we struggle with accepting other people is because we have not accepted who Christ is in us yet. And see, in all of this, he's establishing courage and he's establishing confidence that if we operate in the fact that we're blessed, that we're chosen, that we're accepted, it does something internally to you. It makes you strong. It gives you the ability to love people. It gives you the ability to not be intimidated by life. It gives you the ability to love people regardless of where they are. And Paul is breathing all of this out in this big sentence in Greek because he doesn't want to stop and put a period and start another thought. Because it's really, listen, one thought from the mind of God. His message from us, from him to us. That's the heart of the Father. There's some actually some more stuff inside there that's God's Father, God's heart, but we don't have time to look at that, study it. And it'll, it'll jump off the page. So we move from the heart of the Father, and then we see we move to verse 6 and 7, and what we see is the provision of the Son. Because see, all of the stuff that God's heart wants for us, Jesus had to do something so that we could step into it. So the first thing we see is that the Son has offered and provided redemption for me. Provided redemption for me. 
Look at how he says it in verse 7. In him we have redemption. You are redeemed so you can experience everything that the Father has for you. In him we have redemption through the blood. Redemption is the only way into the Father's family. Everybody say, I am redeemed. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Redeemed means this. It means to be purchased out of slavery. To be purchased out of slavery. That there was a time in all of our lives when we were in bondage to sin. All of us. And when you stepped into Christ by putting faith in Jesus and getting born again, you became the redeemed of the Lord. And in the mind of God, you are free. Well, you don't know what I'm experiencing and I'm dealing with all. No, you're free. The problem is we need to start believing this first. We're try, we need to establish orthodoxy before we can operate in orthopraxy. Are you following me? So many of us are trying to be free when we need to establish the fact that we already are free. One man said it like this, the jail cell is open, why are you staying inside? Redeemed, you are redeemed, you've been purchased, you are no longer, no matter what's going on in your life, in the mind of God, you are no longer in bondage to sin, you are no longer in bondage to addictions, you are no longer in bondage to the flesh, you are no longer in bondage to anything of this world. Jesus went to the cross and suffered punishment and torment and took our sins so that we could be redeemed. Stop trying to be free, get free, and just realize you are free. You are free. It starts with orthodoxy. It starts with biblical truth. Psalms 111. 111 verse 9 says this, He has sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant, His covenant of redemption forever. Holy and awesome is His name. He sent redemption for us. Everybody say, I am redeemed. The Father's heart, the Son's provision. Not only did He redeem us in your notes, He offered forgiveness for me. Redemption and forgiveness go together, but they're different. Redemption is the place of being free. Forgiveness is what God has offered you through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went on to say in verse 7, the second part of it, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. God's grace says, I want to forgive you. Would you please let me? He offers forgiveness to you. He says, I forgive you. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not holding, I'm not holding anything against you. Doesn't matter what you did, where you went, what you're involved in, my forgiveness reaches to the depths of those things. One of the greatest things that brings joy to the heart of our Heavenly Father is when you and I, listen, will allow Him to forgive us. He sent His Son so that we could be forgiven. And not only do we want Him to forgive us, you need to make sure that you forgive yourself. Don't live under the guilt of self-condemnation of your mistakes. If you've blown it, you ask God to forgive you. You judge yourself wrong. You receive his forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. And then after you've judged yourself wrong and you've received his forgiveness, now you judge yourself cleansed. You judge yourself forgiven and free. Are you following me this morning? The heart of the Father has chosen you. The heart of the Father has accepted you. The heart of the Father has blessed you. The, the provision of the Son has redeemed you. The provision of the Son has offered forgiveness to you. 
It's one of the reasons why the enemy tries to keep us in bondage to our past and to our faults and our failures. Because if we operate like that, we'll operate in guilt and condemnation and inferiority. And he'll have a hold on our life. I am forgiven. Look at Psalms 86.5. I'm moving quick. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. Man, we need to be ready to be forgiven. Stop punishing yourself for your mistakes. Stop trying to show God how sorry you are by self. Are you following me? Just receive the forgiveness and get back on track. It's yours. It belongs to you. He's ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon him. The heart of the Father, the provision of the Son, and now it's time for the Spirit to go to work. Here's what we see. What has the Spirit done for us? In your notes, he sealed me. Glory to God. He has sealed you. All of the heart of the Father, the provision of the Son, now gets sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at what he said. In him, again, you also trusted after you heard the word of, the tr of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That the Holy Spirit, after all of this took place, sealed you. What does that mean? It means that God has marked you as his own. It means God has stamped his name on you. You belong to me. That you no longer belong to the world. You no longer belong to the enemy. You belong to me. That the Holy Spirit comes down and declares and testifies to our heart and our life. I am a child of God. I am a daughter of God. I am a son of God. And the Holy Spirit seals us and puts the mark of God on the inside of us and then helps us to live orthopraxy, life governed by what God the Father and God the Son did for us. Are you following me? And he testifies to our life that we are somebody. Look at what he said in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself, because you've been sealed with him, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That on the inside of every one of us that have been sealed by the Spirit of God, that little voice on the inside is saying, I belong to the Father. He belongs to me. I am sealed. I am His. And then look what happens. He testifies that if, if and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The heart of the Father has blessed you, chosen you, accepted you. This is, this is what Paul is breathing out to the church in Ephesus and breathing out to City Church today. The Son's provision was to redeem you and to forgive you and provide that for you. The work of the Spirit was to seal you as God's own. And so the question is this, what are we going to do with this? What is the orthopraxy of this orthodoxy? What is the things that I can do in my life? And I'm going to give them to you really quick that can take these beliefs and make them and create, let them have the effect on our life that God wants them to. Very simple, but I want to put them, I want to give them to you. Ready? There's four of them. The first thing that you and I need to do is we need to believe it. That goes without saying. Believe it. Don't believe your emotions. Don't believe your thinking. Don't believe your experiences. Believe what the Father has done for you. Believe what the Son has done for you. 
the reason why this is so important is simply because what you believe, listen, what you believe will become a reality in your life. So if we are believing the wrong things, then the wrong things will become the reality. But if we believe the right things, the process works the same. Believe it. I'm not going to read these verses. I want you to go back and look at them yourself. Not only do we need to believe it, we need to think it. Get this stuff in your mind. Think it. It's important for us. I, I saw this on Mary's Facebook page. Asked her if I could, if I could uh, read it. I don't know where she is this morning. There she is right there. I want to read this to you. It says, anytime I'm feeling less than whole, I release thoughts of lack and limitations. I pause to remember that I am made in the image and the likeness of God. And as I bring my thoughts and beliefs into harmony with my spiritual nature, I sense freedom is born inside me. Right here, our thinking is where the enemy works. This is the playground of the enemy, but it, also, it can also be the playground of God. Think it. Believe it. Here's the next one. Speak it. Come on, let's get this stuff in our mouth. Too many of us are making our, our words in our mouth are working against us. God's saying you're redeemed and we're talking nonsense about ourselves. I mean, no, we don't even like our kids or people that we know. We don't like them to say negative things about themselves. Speak it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. No, I am blessed. I am accepted. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. You watch when you start speaking it. All the insecurity and the, and the thoughts of failure and the work of the enemy, it will flee in the name of Jesus. We need to believe this. We need to think this. We need to speak it. And if you do that, guess what you get to do now? You need to go out and just live it. Live it. Live it. Live it. It's okay, brother. Go ahead. As I close with this thought, F.F. Bosworth said this, great man of God, wrote Christ the healer. I would encourage you if you could read this book. It's, it's amazing. I've probably read it 15 times in my life. F.F. Bosworth said this. The gospel is the worldwide emancipation proclamation of liberty from service and bondage to the old tyrant and master of sin and sickness, the devil. That the gospel is God's emancipation proclamation. It is his deliverance from slavery it is his message. I close with this thought and take you back in honor of Black History Month to September 22nd, 1862, the day that Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, setting free all those who were in bondage to the tyranny of slavery and remind you that the very moment that document was signed, anybody that was under the curse of slavery was free. Now think about a person who was enslaved to ungodly people 2,000 miles away from where that document was signed. When they hear that they were free, they look around. Nothing has changed. They don't feel any different. Surroundings haven't changed. 
Their mind tells them that everything is the same. But the truth is, because that document was signed, they are free. The whole world has just opened up to them. They just have to figure out how to navigate through it. The same goes with us. We're not 2,000 miles away, we're 2,000 years away. But the Emancipation Proclamation that delivered freedom to every person on the planet was signed in the blood of Jesus. And you may be standing here today and you've heard these truths and you're doing like maybe a, a person in slavery did back then. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing looks different. I don't feel different. That's got nothing to do with it. You're free. Why? Because the document was signed. The blood was shed. You are free. And all we have to do it's the same thing that a person in bondage to slavery did when they heard about the Emancipation Proclamation that was signed. It's just make plans for a better life and act upon what we knew and what we know to be true. The Apostle Paul, with one big, sobering, exuberant, joyful breath, gives us the heart of the Father for you, the provision of the Son, and the work of the Spirit that can change your life if you allow orthodoxy and orthodoxy to come together what you believe and what you live become one the emerging factor is not unknown it is blessing and it is freedom in your notes write this down I believe what God says about me and I will let that belief control my life that's the challenge that I leave you with this morning stand with me. Father, we love you today. We praise you today. Glory to God. I'm not going to call the prayer partners forward this morning. But the band is about to lead us in a song of worship. It's not an exit song. It's a song of worship to seal this today. And if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want everybody to pray this because these promises belong to you. You just need to get in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you just need to let them govern your life. And you watch what grace does. Say, Jesus, today's the day. I give you my heart. I give you my life. From this moment on, I believe you died. I believe you were raised from the dead. And I am yours, and you are mine. You are my Lord, I am your child, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. As the band gets ready to lead us in a song of worship, let's just think about what God has spoken to you today and let it get deep down on the inside of you. God bless, I'll be back to close out in just a second.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everything I said today was boiled down to these three thoughts. The heart of the Father wants you to live in victory. The provision of the Son has given you the ability to do it. And the Holy Spirit will help you to do it. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. Speak blessing over their life. Why? Because it belongs to them. Because you've already spoken it. Lord, thank you for City Church. For all that you're doing here in us and through us to to reach all those around us. But thank you this morning for reaching into us and speaking your truth. Help us to go out and live it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have an amazing week. Don't forget, city groups this week. We'll see you back Sunday morning. God bless.